Okay, thank you, Stephen and Mark. Um, as you can see, we have a lot of new announcements, and especially as we go into the fall, we're trying to kick off a lot of different ministries, events, in hopes that we would come together as a church, as a community, and not just have fun, but study the word, pray together, see each other's family once more. So you can find all those either in the bulletin or even online under the bulletin tab. If we can go back real quick, um, just back to the fall fest, uh, I want to encourage all the continuing in our sermon series in our mission statement. So let's have God's word open us up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be reading verse 16 and 17. So we'll have God's word open us up to Colossians, the third chapter, and we'll be reading verse 16 and 17. When you're there, please rise for the reading of God's word. Again, Colossians, the third chapter, 16 and 17. Now this is the word of the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, excuse me, with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and join us as we sing this song as our prayer. of our church is to make disciples who live out the gospel in word and deed. First, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who is with Jesus, not someone who works for Jesus, but someone who is with Jesus, someone who walks with Jesus, someone who is near Jesus. You see, you cannot call yourself a disciple of someone if you actually haven't met that person, if you haven't spent time with that person, if you haven't learned intimately with that person. I'd be lying if I say, if I call myself a disciple of Martin Scorsese. I'm a fan of Martin Scorsese, but I'm not a, but I'm not a disciple. I've never met him. I've never spent time with him. I've never learned from him. I am a fan not a disciple. I'd be willing to work for him, but again, that does not make me a disciple. See, the mission of our church isn't to make fans of Jesus or even workers for Jesus, but our mission is to make disciples 
who see Jesus, who follow Jesus, who are near to Jesus, who cherish Jesus, disciples to whom Jesus is the end, not the means to another end, but Jesus himself is the end. That is what a disciple is. Second, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that what God has created and what he has intended no matter how broken it may seem to be, no matter, no matter how broken we may seem to be, that God has redeemed it, and He will recreate it for His beauty and His glory. I know that from time to time when we look out into the world and we see all that's going on around us, and we, when we look out and see into our lives, we are from time to time overwhelmed by the injustices, the cruelties, the sins, and the brokenness. And we think to ourselves, there is no way that all of this can be made right. Well, what if there is an act of suffering? What if there is one act of injustice that is so cruel, so scandalous, that it actually has the power to atone for all the brokenness in the world? The act of God the Father actually giving up His only Son, forsaking His eternal Son pouring out his righteous wrath of sin upon this perfect son, followed by the act of raising the son from the dead. The death of the son of God and the resurrection of the eternal son of God, would you not say, would you not be convinced that this act has the power to redeem and to recreate this world? Well, the gospel is the good news that God has done this in Christ. And as a result, we are redeemed. We are being made new again. This is the gospel. So then our mission is to make disciples who live this gospel out in two very specific ways. And the two ways are in word and in deed. Now, for the next two weeks, we're going to examine what it means to live out the gospel in word. And today, we're going to look at the gospel in speech. The following week, next week, we're going to look at the gospel in song. But first, the gospel in speech today. Next week, the gospel in song. Are we able to? There you go. There you go. Um, and the two questions that I'd like to ask for us today, um, the two questions I'd like to ask for us today as we look at the gospel in speech are these. Uh, first, um, why should we live out the gospel in speech? What's the reason why this is important? And second, what does this look like? What does it look like when we start living out the gospel in speech? So first, the why. Well, the answer might be obvious to some of us. Uh, but for others, I think we need some persuasion or explanation. You see, some of us may be under the impression that being a Christian, that being a disciple of Jesus means simply heart change. It changes who I am on the inside, but it really doesn't affect my outward actions. It doesn't affect my day-to-day, and especially it does not change the way that I talk. We see this in subtle ways, don't we? Some of us desire to be a quiet Christian, be sincere in my beliefs, but keep it all internal, keep it private. Sometimes we want to be a covert Christian. Some of us like it when people say to us, oh, 
I didn't know you were a Christian. As if that's a good thing. You know, honestly, if I wasn't a pastor, my inclination would be to be a, Christ, a quiet Christian. Keep it to myself. Be so sincere. Keep it internal. Keep it private. And maybe that's why the Lord called me to the pastorate, making it my job to talk about it. But some of us think that, you know what? Being a Christian doesn't, doesn't affect how we talk or how we act. It really is a matter of the heart. Some of us are under the impression that the heart and the mouth are two separate entities, able to function independent of one another. Well, the Bible, Scripture teaches us that these two things, our hearts and our mouths, are inextricably tied. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 18. He says this, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. In other words, the Bible tells us that our mouths, our mouths are our hearts ambassadors. If you really want to know what's inside a person's heart, you don't need a scalpel. You don't have to rip them open to see. All you have to do is listen. You just need ears. Our mouths will eventually put all of our heart's secrets on, the, on display. Our mouths will reveal our heart's treasures. Our mouths will reveal our true emotions. These things will start to seep out through our words. And that's because, as one theologian writes, our mouths have direct access to our heart's private chambers. Now, when someone says to you, let's have a heart-to-heart, what does that mean? Does it mean let's lie down next to each other and put our chests together and have our hearts beat against one another? No, when people say, let's have a heart-to-heart, what are they saying? Let's have an honest conversation. Let's use words to really reveal what is inside. And I'm sure many of you have had the opportunity to apologize for things that you've said. Many of you have heard apologies for things people have said to you. And more recently, we've heard a lot of public apologies for things that people have said wrong publicly. And when you listen to these apologies, uh, there's, there's this line that people often use. When they apologize for something that they said that was wrong, they use these words. They say, I'm sorry, that's not who I am. I'm sorry, that's not who I am. You know, I said something racist, but I'm not a racist. That's not who I am. I said something offensive, and that's not who I am. I said something that's chauvinistic or sexist, but no, that's not who I really am. I have many minority friends. You know, uh, we, we, hear, we hear that line, right? That's not who I am. I want to push back and say, no, that's exactly who you are. Your words revealed what was inside of you, and the real apology should be, I'm sorry, I need to change. My heart needs to change. Cordelia, one of the daughters of King Lear, was right when she said to her father, I cannot heave my heart into my mouth. In other words, I can only say what is really on my heart. I cannot change what I say. I cannot change what is inside me through my words, but I can only tell you what is there. So the question that we ask, why should we expect gospel living to change the way in which we speak? It's because the gospel changes our hearts and our mouths speak what the heart is full of, Luke 6, 45. Friends, if you find um, that 
your words have become hurtful to people, if you find that in your words you're, you're overly critical or you're judgmental, if you find that you've just been complaining a lot, if you find that you've been uttering slanderous words, speaking ill of others or gossiping, or if you find that you just have a hard time not lying, that you're constantly lying, unable to tell the truth, what we need to do is not guard our mouths. We shouldn't try to talk less. But what we ought to do is guard our hearts. We should examine our hearts. See, we read verses 16 and 17 in Colossians 3, but if you read earlier what Paul says, he writes exhorting the disciples in the church to live out the gospel, and he says this in verses 8 to 10. But now, as disciples, you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander. And then he talks about obscene talk from the mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Whenever Paul gives exhortations to the Christian about how we ought to live, he not only talks about what's inside of our hearts and how we act, but he also talks about our speech, our words. And he says, put away slander, put away lying, put away gossip, put away critical and judgmental words. Put away these things because they are not begetting of the Christian. Our words matter. We know the saying quite well, don't we? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will leave a lasting impression. Words will echo in the chambers of our hearts for a long time. How many nights have you stayed up because of words that were uttered to you? How many hours have you wrestled with the words that you heard? Now think about it. As a child, think of all the times you got hurt, the bruises and the bumps, the cuts, scrapes. Think about all of the times you actually got hurt physically. You don't remember many of them, do you? But you do remember the words that were uttered to you, words of affirmation and words of rejection. So what does this look like? What does the gospel living out in word actually look like? Well, the second point, there are a number of things that we can talk about. Words uh, through gospel living, we can see that um, through the form of evangelism, explicit sharing of the gospel. Uh, we see it through the act of singing. And Paul talks about it in verse 17. Um, we live out the gospel in word by singing. And um, just personally, this is something that I've been more and more convinced of recently. Uh, I realize that singing is such an important part of gospel living. I know a few years back, or I've always shared that I don't like music and I don't like singing, uh, that I would rather listen to a podcast or audiobook, but I've done a complete 180 recently. Uh, the gospel puts a new song in our mouths. Yeah, yeah, and, and, we ought, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but gospel living through word, um, there's a lot of singing that's involved. But uh, today, um, I want to focus on what the passage, verse 16, is telling us, and that is uh, edifying talk, building up talk, talk that edifies and sanctifies one another, gospel living through edifying talk. If you look with me in verse 16, Paul writes this, let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
I want you to notice the exhortation that Paul gives here to teach and admonish. And he says, teach and admonish one another. And this exhortation is not exclusive to certain officers in the church. This, this teaching or this command is not exclusive to the pastors of the church, but it is given to everyone. You see, for Paul, a healthy church is one where everyone is constantly teaching, everyone is constantly admonish one, one another, and this is going on through and from all the members of the church to each other. A healthy biblical church is one where the Word of God is used to teach and admonish and build one another up from every single person here. See, one of the biggest mistakes of the church today is what I call the professionalizing of the Word of God and the compartmentalizing of the Word of God. What do I mean by this? First, the professionalizing. You see, what we have erred, the church has erred in reserving the act of teaching to just the professionals. See, we think that teaching and admonishing ought to be left only for those who are trained and mature in the faith. Now, I'm not saying that we ought not to be careful. I'm not saying that we ought not to examine everything and be on guard against wrongful teaching. However, the church today, we've swung so far in the opposite direction where the members of the church have become just spectators, observers, receivers, and never givers. Now, I understand people don't want to teach because they think that they don't know enough. People don't want to teach because they think that they'll make a mistake when they feel as though they can't live up to what they're actually teaching. And as a result, we've professionalized the teaching of the Word of God. The church has become completely content in hiring out professionals who will teach and admonish. We've professionalized it. We've also erred in compartmentalizing it. What do I mean? Well, it's reserving the act of teaching and admonishing to only specific times and contexts. Yes, we listen to the Word of God through a sermon. We listen to the Word of God and the ministry of it through a Bible study and maybe through a prayer group, but all other times, if you try the ministry of the Word, it becomes awkward, annoying, uncomfortable. It becomes exasperating. And no one wants to be that guy who's just quoting Bible verses all the time. We find it to be a bit annoying. It's similar to opera music. On certain occasions, it's great. It's intense, it's deep, it's dramatic, it's redemptive. But you can't listen to opera music all the time. You can't listen to it in your car driving to work. You'll go crazy. It'll make you feel exasperated, tired out. And what we've done is we've reserved the ministry of the Word to only certain occasions. You see, friends, when we read the New Testament, yes, there are occasions for preaching. These things are important. Sitting under the teaching of the Word of God from the pastorate is important. However, that cannot be where the ministry of the Word starts and ends. You know, one thing uh, I've come to appreciate about Philadelphia is uh, its sports radio talk. I know the football season just started, but um, at first, when I listened to Philly sports radio, I always wondered, why are they always exaggerating everything? Why do they re- overreact to everything? 
And frankly, I found it to be a bit annoying, exasperating, and pathetic. But let me finish. I'm a changed man now. I like music. And also, I'm starting to understand Philly Sports Radio. I understand why they over-exaggerate. I understand why they, they overreact. I understand why they talk about it all the time. It's because they are so passionate about it. See, I've noticed that Philly fans, they go to games on Sunday or they watch it. But just because the game ended doesn't mean that their fandom and their kindred spirit has ended. What happens when the game ends? Well, they talk about it over and over and over again, whether it's a win or a loss. And what do they do? They revisit it. They rehash it. They dissect it, the small and the large. They talk about next week. They look forward with anticipation. They try to build momentum. They talk about injuries, who was there, who wasn't there. And what happens? The ministry continues. Sure, it culminates during the game, but it continues even after it's done. Sunday evening, they talk about it. Monday morning, they talk about it. Tuesday, they talk about it. And starting Wednesday, they talk about the following week, and they talk about it over and over and over again. See, this is what, friends, the ministry of the Word ought to look like inside the church. It's not just, ah, that was a great message, or ah, could be better. You know, sometimes congregants, um, they would express gratitude to the pastor, saying, hey, thank you for the Word. Uh, But sometimes when it falls flat, uh, they can't say it directly, and they would say things like, uh, they would make these comments like, oh, must have been a busy week, huh? (laughs) Or, uh, you seem a little tired today. (laughs) You know, I've learned not to take the good and the bad to heart because, honestly, it just ends there. Five minutes. Great message, lasts five minutes. Uh, Falls flat, five minutes. But the ministry of the Word in the church, it ought to be like sports radio talk where we're constantly talking about it, we're constantly rehashing it, we're constantly reminding others of it. We zoom into certain things and say, hey, you missed this part, right? Look at what happened here. Look at what's being said here. We clarify, we correct. Throughout the week, we continue to talk about it in our CGs, in our personal meetings. We exaggerate and we anticipate what's to come next week. We try to build momentum as we talk about it and as we exhort one another. And yes, there are experts who give their take, who give their analysis, but like sports radio, anyone can call in, and anyone can give their perspective, anyone can give their opinion, anyone can share what they're feeling and what they're thinking. See, what Paul says in verse 16 is that we, the church, ought to be teaching and admonishing one another. We ought to be encouraging one another and correcting one another. Teaching is the more neutral, didactic understanding where we're pointing forward while admonishing is corrective, where we're pulling a brother back. So you have two aspects, pointing forward, giving direction, but also for those who have reared to to the side to pull them back. Paul is telling us to use the Word of God in teaching and admonishing one another. For those of you who feel unconfident, for those of you who feel unsure, saying, you know what, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about theology. Well, that certainly could be a motivating factor for studying the Word of God. And as Paul says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly to teach. So personal edification shouldn't be your only goal 
for going deeper in the Word of God. The goal for studying the Word should be the edification of the body. However, even if you say, I don't know enough, I don't know enough of the Bible to actually teach, I want to push back and say, you might not know enough, but you have lived enough. You've experienced the struggle of faith. You've experienced the difficulties of life. You've experienced the difficulties of relationship. You've experienced the joys of life. You've experienced all of that in the context of faith. You've experienced brokenness in relationships or difficulties at work. You've questioned your calling and your faith. You've doubted, and now because you have that experience, you are actually able to teach and admonish. Look at what Paul says. He doesn't say, teach and admonish one another the Bible. No, what does he say? He says, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. In all wisdom. In other words, let the word of Christ dwell in you, be saturated with the word of God so that you can actually apply it, so that you can actually talk to others about living it out wisely. See, teaching and admonishing isn't about theological accuracy. What we're trying to do is is not give them doctrinal accuracy, but it's about faithful living. We ought to share and teach and admonish how we live our lives in this world as his disciples. And honestly, the people here in this room are probably more equipped, are better equipped than the pastors to do that. See, it's our job to be at church. It's our job to be in the Word. But the church, you know what it's like to struggle in the faith. You know what it's like to struggle with the Word. You know what it's like in the world as you struggle to live it out in your day-to-day. You've experienced the faith in much more relevant and current ways. And that is Paul's exhortation, that the church would teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So it isn't simply, hey, let me teach you what this verse says, but it's, oh, you're struggling in your marriage? You know, let me share what I've been through. Let me share what, what's worked with me. Oh, you're struggling at work? You're thinking about quitting? Well, from my experience, this is what it's like. Oh, you have parents who are non-believers or friends who are non-believers? Oh, this is, I can, I can share with you my experience. See, for Paul, it's teach and admonishing one another in all wisdom, in all aspects of life. See, friends, I, I don't, I'm not sure if you realize what I'm doing here, um, but in some ways I'm messing with my own job security. I'm democratizing the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God. And again, I'm not taking away from the importance of sound teaching, but what I'm saying is that the entire church ought to be engaged in the ministry of the Word, teaching and admonishing it. You know, one of the promises of the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills in Hebrews, according to Hebrews 8, is the following. This is one of the promises in Scripture, in the Old Testament. When the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, this is what's going to happen. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So here is the hope and prayer as a church. The hope and prayer as a church is that we would become a congregation, we would become a body where the gospel is lived out in word in all of us and to all of us. When Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you. This is not a personal you. This is not a singular you. In, in other words, let the word of Christ dwell in each individual. That's not what he's saying. He's saying let the word of Christ dwell in you, among you, among the body, within the church. In other words, let the word of Christ dwell so richly in the body to the point that there is a change in the culture of the church. I know the word culture has been used, is, is used often today, but this is exactly what Paul is getting at. He's saying change the culture of the church where the word is constantly used to teach and admonish the, the members of the church in all wisdom. In the German, you have the word geist, right, meaning spirit. Let the spirit of the church, let the atmosphere of the church be changed so that what is central, it's the word of God. Or in the Korean, there's the word punigi. Let the, let the punigi of the church change so that what? The ministry of the word is constantly going on. That the ministry of the word endures beyond the Sunday sermon. As Scripture says, the grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. See, the mission of our church is that we would become disciples who live out the good news of Jesus in our words. That when people come to visit the church, that the words that they hear, the encouragement that they hear, the admonition that they receive will be one that builds and edifies and points them towards Christ. Let me just conclude by just sharing. Um, we're trying to persuade you of the redemptive effect of words. You know, when Jesus came to, this, to, to earth, he had uh, three, three and a half very, very short years to do ministry. And Jesus actually focused on three things. He taught, he preached, and he healed. You know, think, if you are the Son of God coming to save a broken world, what would you focus on? You know, for me, my mind immediately goes to, you know, Jesus should have ran for government. He should have changed policies. Uh, he should have done something radical. But what did Jesus do? He taught. He used words. That was the majority of his ministry. He spent most of his time talking to people, teaching people, and uttering words that would restore, redeem, words that would break and heal. He would, met, he would meet with a, a woman caught in adultery, and he says, go, your sins are no more. He met with Zacchaeus, and he told him the words, salvation has come to this house. And his disciples continued this ministry of the word, and they used words as a redemptive means to build people up within the gospel. Your father loves you. Your sins are no more. I am yours. You are mine. Words used to redeem and restore people. Words used to correct and exhort people. Words used to pull people back from the sides. And words used to push people forward in the right way. Words are extremely, extremely important. And the hope and the mission, the goal and the prayer for our church is that the words that we utter to one another would not be hurtful words, would not be critical words, would not be slander or gossip, but it would be words that build one another up, that takes the ministry of the word that culminates on a Sunday, and we go out and we continue it 
We continue to speak of it. We continue to exhort one another in it. We continue to remind one another of it. We continue to give our perspective, our take, and teaching one another in all wisdom. Would you go? And as your mouths are ambassadors of your heart, would you go and be ambassadors of the gospel? Speak to one another. Speak the word to one another. Teach one another. That is how the church is built. Would you join me in prayer at this time? Once again, it is our prayer that the Word of Christ would dwell in us richly, would dwell not just in us personally, but that it would dwell within the church richly, within all of us here. The prayer is that the ministry of the Word would continue in our personal conversations, in our text messages, in our emails, in our group discussions, in our CGs, in our gatherings, in our fellowship, that the ministry of the Word would continue, that we would continue to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Friends, words matter. The words that we use matter. It changes the culture of a group, of a community, of an organization. Friends, would you go and be ambassadors for Christ, living out the gospel in word? Can I ask you at this time uh, just to spend some time in prayer? I'm praying for this community. What is it that you desire to see from this church? What do you desire? Well, Paul does give us a vision in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing and teaching one another in all wisdom. Would you pray this prayer? Would you pray that it would be true for yourself, for those around you, and for this congregation. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are reminded once again of the importance of words. Uh, We recall the words that you have uttered as you were hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Words with such power and effect, such as it is finished. We recall the words that you've uttered, the words that you've spoken to people in dire need people in desperation. You are mine. I am yours. Father, we ask, Lord, that we as a congregation would understand the redemptive power of your word, that we would be ambassadors of it, that we would live it out in our speech. Father, would you forgive us for so often we have used our mouths for vain talk and for vain glory. We've used our mouths to 
to build ourselves up and to break others down. We've used our mouths to gossip, to slander, to judge. We've used our mouths for lying and deceit. Father, it is our prayer that the word of Christ would dwell so richly in us that it would begin to overflow and it would change our language. It would change the talk. It would change the use of words. It would change the subject of our conversations, that your word would be central here in this community. Father, it is our prayer that we would become disciples who live out the gospel in word and